January 2017. It's interesting at the beginning of the year how at times people stop and reflect on how life is going. And for some of us, you know, it brings another year and you just feel a little bit older. Um, and I think that's true for me as well. But some people make New Year's resolutions also. And I was debating, oh, should I make one? I go, yeah, I, I think I'm going to make an, a New Year's resolution this year. So I'm going to put that on the screen right now. And, and here's my resolution. I'm going to try to take more naps this year. And uh, with, with my age, I figure that that's a good place to start before exercise because you got to be healthy before you exercise, I think, is somewhere there someone said that. But, but it is a time to assess and a time to, to look back. And by the way, if you're a ministry leader, I remind you again of the reports that you're supposed to be writing here for that business meeting on the 17th. But it does force me to look back and ask the question, uh, how have we done as a church this last year? What have we, what are what some of the things I wish that could have happened? But it also points me to look forward as well into the future of the church. And, you know, I, I think what will this church look like in 2017? And it, it's one of those things that a healthy church asks, it really needs to ask those questions. How are we doing? Where are we going? Especially corporately in the spiritual sense. But it's a realization that change always takes place. And that's true with a church or even individually. You just can't avoid change. It's constant. And it's true whether you're a family. It's true whether they're a marriage or an individual or corporately as well. Matter of fact, think of the governments and the changes that are taking place within our government as well. I was going to put on the website, it kind of was a depressing website. If you want to take a peek at, go to usdebtclock.org sometime, and, and there's this incredible picture of these numbers that are changing and rolling, and, and it's showing the debt that's growing every minute. I don't know if you realize, in the United States, the debt is growing about a million dollars a minute. Um, now, I'm going to be dead before I have to pay for it, so you that are younger, you're going to be forced to probably pay some of that back and higher taxes later on. At some point, it's going to catch up to us. But think of even the changing presidents at this time of the year and all the stuff that's in the newspapers and on the blogs and the, in the internet world. And people, some people are excited, some people aren't, and some people are wait and see. But there is a call, I think, in us if we know Christ. We're supposed to pray for our leaders. And I think that's something that we need to do. But let me just put up a question for you. What do you want for our church for 2017? Now, maybe you've never even thought of that question, and it's a little bit of a loaded question, and I'd be interested to hear if you want to email something back as well, but I would say this, that as a pastor or if any pastor of a church, there's a vision that we want, a preferred vision of where we would like to go, and, and uh, now I would say this, if, if a pastor doesn't have a vision, he probably needs to go work somewhere else. Uh, but there's spiritual changes that I want for 2017, and there's places where I'd love to go, but there's also some places where we, I would want us to stay away from even as a church. And I'll put one on the screen, and I would say it this way. I don't want our church to become a consumer-driven church. 
And that's always a temptation uh, in our culture. Now, now you may not understand what that term is, a consumer-driven church. Consumerism is one of the big challenges in churches of today. People are still writing on it. Probably started, I'm guessing, about 25 years or 25 years ago. I think is when I kind of first heard about it. But even today, there's still articles coming out, and it was one of the things that popped in my inbox even here this week. But you know, what is a consumer-driven church? Well, let me put a quote from a blog here on the screen, and it says this: We expect promises of great customer service in a restaurant, an airplane, or a store. But the idea that a church is a place where we pay others to do ministry as we sit passively, consuming and passing judgment on the product being offered, may be the greatest single reason for the anemia of the modern Western church. There's one quote from, a, from an individual. Now, I, I got to say this. I think this is true. There are some elements of consumerism in any church. You can't get away from it. But by and large, I, not, I would say this, I'm not sure, I don't believe that our church here, our church family is dominated by consumerism. But I, you understand, it's an issue in churches. Matter of fact, Thomas Rainier writes on church health, and he put up some, he gave some exit interviews of people of how they, it, it kind of, it's really kind of the consummate consumeristic view. Look at what it says that some of that he wrote on. It said this, Here's what one person said. The worship leader refused to listen to me about the songs and the music I wanted. So I left. So where's Dave? Pick on, you know, the pastor didn't feed me. No one from my church visited me. I'm not about to support the building program that they wanted. I was out two weeks and no one called me. They moved the times of the worship services and it messed up my schedule. So next week, we're going to go to 1045, so everybody shows up on time. This, the, this, I told my pastor to go visit my cousin, and he never did. So they left the church. Now, now i got to say this. Our society okay, pushes us to become consumers. It's the American way. It's capitalism at its worst. Don't we have to admit that? You know, the bumper sticker, born to shop. Maybe you've seen that. And realize this, the more people become consumers, the more our 401ks go up. Isn't that true? The stock market goes up when people buy. It's interesting, even in the healthcare world, there's changes along this line. Because I don't know if you realize, in, in the hospital and other nursing homes and other places, retirement homes, you don't have patients anymore. You have healthcare consumers and customers. That's the way the phrase, that's the phrase that where it's moving to. But a consumer church, understand, where it, it become where the DNA or the tone of a church is all about meeting their perceived needs. But the reality exists that following and knowing Jesus in those churches, it doesn't become the most important thing. So at the heart of a spiritually healthy church is about people following Jesus. And the church, yes, there are some real needs that we're supposed to be about. But it's really to equip people and to help people serve Jesus, love Jesus, follow Jesus, worship Jesus. Be a part of God's kingdom, Jesus' kingdom. 
See, that's what we're supposed to try to provide within the church. And understand this, following Jesus is really the opposite of a consumer. But we have to admit that our society lends itself with the whole consumerism mindset. And it can creep into churches. I, I think of Jesus when he calls people to follow him. Leave your cross and come and follow me. Think of the disciples fishing along their boats. Guys, leave your nets and come and follow me. They were giving up their jobs to follow Jesus. That is the opposite of a consumer. Think of the rich young man. Go and sell everything and give it to the poor. And he refused to do it. He, he, he just couldn't let go of his money. The consumer in that sense. See, the challenge of the church and even salvation, when we get saved at times, it can default to coming a, kind of a subtle consumer. But think about when we get saved, it isn't just to sit passively and that Jesus is going to wipe all of our troubles away. That's not the goal of salvation. Salvation doesn't lend itself that the primary purpose of, of walking by faith is to gather here on Sunday morning and for one hour, just in some kind of orchestrated service, that's not walking with Jesus either, really. In that sense, we gather for a different purpose than that. But I think at times where people cannot be directly consumers like those, but, but I think it can be more subtle in some churches as well. And it kind of goes like this. Ken, what I want is a nice church. I'm not, not going to be like that. But I want a nice church that's going to help my kids become nice Christian kids. And so I can have a nice Christian life. And I can move into a, a nice Christian retirement time so that I can have nice Christian grandkids and I can die and have a nice burial in a nice Christian church. A little sarcasm there, I understand that. Is that what we want? Let me show you another quote from Christianity Today. Look what it the author read here, the main feature of the consumer church mentality is that the church unconsciously becomes a dispenser of religious goods and services. People come to church to be fed, to have their needs met through quality programs, to have professionals teach their children about God. The prevailing attitude that the church exists primarily to feed Christians the word is one of the primary reasons most churches in the United States are not growing. Or if they do, they do so through transfer membership, not conversions. Now, some of you look at some of those statements and go, wait a minute. They make you a little bit uncomfortable. Even the one with the idea that the primary purpose is preaching the word. It's a little bit of a cliche there. And catch this. Now, I would say this. This book, I'm called to make it important. And the goal of focusing on the word, though, is not just knowledge. It's not just information. It's to be transformation. People's lives changing. See, this book reveals God's heart and his desires for us as we live in this world, as we gather as a church. 
So the goal is not just information. The goal is that we would actually bond with Jesus and that our lives would change from the inside out. So let me give you a key point if you're following along in the outline there in the bulletin notes. I said it this way, one of the key issues, the church must become a gathered people that are immersed in loving and following Jesus. See, we are the living body of Christ, a community. And its foundation is a love relationship with the Father, Son, and the Spirit that we love Him with our mind and our soul, our will, all our strength. And the mission that we have is to bring Jesus into the community. We hold up Him as the light, as the source of salvation. That's our mission. So today, because of that, we're going to start a new series here. And I want to put you the picture on the screen that we're using, and it's, it's the journey of a lifetime, and a great picture, and if you see right in the middle there, there's actually a guy right on the side of the rail there, and he's walking into the sun. Now, now here's the deal that you understand, for us, this journey of a lifetime is not walking into the S-O-N, or I'm sorry, S-U-N, it's walking into the S-O-N, toward the Son of the living God. Now, we could have put a couple people along with that individual. We do this together. But this is a journey of a lifetime of walking toward Jesus. Now, now i got to say it as well, in this title of this series, it can actually be used a couple of different ways. One of them, we could look at it this way. It's the journey of a lifetime, meaning that I get up to the end, of, the end of my life when I die, that it's that whole journey continuing on, the journey toward Jesus through our whole life. And that would be true as well. But we also could use it this way. This is the journey of a lifetime in the sense that it is the most satisfying trip you could ever, ever take. This is the dream trip where the purpose of life, where it adds to the identity of who we are, the purpose of our life. And at the end of it, there's a sense of satisfaction at the end of each day saying, I am on this journey and today has been a good day because I've been on a journey to meet Jesus today. But yet, what at the end of our lives? And that journey continuing every day. And I want to put a verse on the screen. What if at the end of this journey of life that that this would happen? Look at Matthew 25, 21. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Isn't that an incredible phrase, that last phrase? What if at the end that we come up to the end of our lives when we're going to die at some point, we all got to die at some point, but we're ushered into the kingdom and Jesus is standing there and he says, well done, enter into my joy. Wouldn't that be a goal worthy to pursue? So this series is about walking toward Jesus in a very distinct way. But this, this series also has a theme passage that I'm, gonna, I'm not going to put it quite on the screen yet here, but 
I understand this text. I've used it before, but for me, um, this is was taught to me. Somebody was trying to infuse this into my life. Matter of fact, this passage, it, it's why I aspired to become an elder in a church when I was in my early 30s. It became the platform for my parenting. It, was, it became the goal as, I, as God was trying to push me into influencing people. And yes, I would say this passage actually helped call me into a full-time paid ministry and work directly with a church. But here's where we're going to go a lot deeper in here than I've ever gone before with it. So here are the two verses, Colossians 1, 28 and 29. These are the theme verses for this whole series. Him we proclaim. Who's him? Jesus. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all of his energy that he powerfully works within me. Now here's what I'm hoping and praying. That these verses would be used to continue the process, to propel us to love God more. To be used in the kingdom of God. And then if there's any consumerism in us, is that that would just fade away. But understand, this applies to us, us in really two ways. The church, yes, but also individually here. It, it's going to be very pointed to us as individuals. And my prayer is that God would use this passage and these other texts that we're going to look at and that it would make some changes maybe that we've never considered in the past. But here's where I need to give you a context of this passage as well. Again, Paul's writing to the church in, in Colossians here, but I want to show you Colossians chapter 1. Look at verse 9. Paul begins this letter by praying for this church. Look at what he prays. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking. And this actually points to Colossians 1, 28 and 29. It gives a little bit of a picture of that. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He goes on, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, one of the things as I was pondering that prayer and how he was praying for this church is, what if we could be praying this? Well, maybe it's too long, a little complicated, but what if we put it into a shorter version? And what if every day we were to get up and put our feet on the floor and we would pray the essence of this verse. And there's what the pray, maybe what I came up with. Father, put our feet on the floor. Father, grow me in your ways so that my life might please you. All because you have saved me by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, I don't know if you ever examine your prayer life. I was even pondering here mine and go, I, I pray for people. I pray for the church. But sometimes, literally, I, I forget and go, God, change me. 
God, would you change, make changes in my life? See, the question when we pray, are we willing to ask God that he would change us as individuals? That we might please him. Now, you also understand how this would apply a group of people praying this if we were to put this into the corporate realm as a church as well. And what if you would commit to this daily, this prayer? Let me put another one out there. What if we corporately prayed this, Father, pour your love into us as a church in your, so, and grow us in your ways so that our lives please you because you've saved us by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What if we prayed that regularly for us as a church? See, corporately, we need that as well. So this is both individually, this series, and it's going to be corporate. And, and you know what? I was reminded of that, actually, the need for that, even this last weekend. Deanna and I were off, and we went down to her mother's and had kind of a Christmas here with her last weekend. And, and I was meeting with my brother-in-law, just visiting with my brother-in-law, and he was just sharing some of the struggles that he has in his church. The church isn't doing well spiritually. And it was discouraging for me. He, he said this, that the staff for this year as they're planning their budget, the staff had to take a 10% pay cut. And the, their, the gal that was working in the office during the week had to be laid off. And I go, oh. Now, that's my hometown, understand, that I grew up in as I was visiting that community. And I know many of the people that have left that church. They're struggling as a church deeply. And I'd have to say this, to some degree, consumerism has actually overtaken that particular church. Now, I don't know the senior pastor there, and I suspect that he would probably look at our church even today, and he said, Ken, you know, I think he'd say this, Ken, can we switch people? I think is what he would probably ask. But see, that's a challenge for us even as we look forward. You know, we have been relatively spiritually stable. Our facilities are paid for. Financially, we had a great year last year, and thank you, by the way. And Jesus continues to add some people to our church. But even with those things, it doesn't mean that a church ever is fully safe. See, we have an enemy that looks to devour churches and individuals in their spiritual health. He looks to disrupt people. He looks to disrupt marriages. He looks to disrupt families and churches. See, he is a lion looking to devour those that are weak and unable to defend themselves. But besides Satan, i got to say this as well, there are other inherent internal dangers within any organization and a church in particular. And one of those dangers for any church is the word complacency. Complacency. And by the way, that can be individually in our walk with Christ. I have seen that over and over again in marriages and in families. A complacency can come in. See, a church can feel successful, but it actually might not be so successful in all the right things. See, just meeting our budget does not necessarily equal spiritual success. 
Just having the children's wing filled with children or the middle school or high school growing does not equal spiritual success necessarily at all. See, the reality is we, we can't just look around and, or never look around and become complacent. Because complacency at times pushes us to coast. And it can, we can coast in our pursuing of Jesus. So I think there's a gravitational pull of people liking the coast. Now, I was thinking of coasting, and I went back actually to uh, when I was in elementary, kind of fifth, sixth, seventh grade. I, had to, I lived in the country. I had to ride, uh, ride my bike in the town in order to play baseball. So it was about a three-and-a-half-mile uh, uh, bike ride in a town. And going into Kokeda, we had to go up this hill. So going in, you're you know, going to play the game and doing the practice, and you worked hard getting up, but then you'd play the game or do the practice, and you'd be a little tired from that. And then you hit the downward hill, and, and all of a sudden you'd crank a little bit, try to get going as fast as you could. You know, I don't know how fast I'd be going. I'm, I was thinking I was 50, but it wasn't going that fast, obviously. But all of a sudden, then you stop pedaling. And remember how that feels when you're going down a hill, and you're really flying, and you go, ah. Coasting is so cool. Doesn't that feel good? But here's the challenge. Every time we coast, you eventually start to slow down. And you got to kick into gear and start paddling again. See, that is a challenge within churches. And that phrase from Colossians 1.28, to present others mature in Christ... We have this word maturity, and and you understand, it is going to be very important in this series. And here's the deal, we're either coasting in our maturity, or we're moving in the right direction, pedaling toward it. See, there's really, in one sense, that spiritual maturity, you don't just stop. Either you're going backwards or you're moving forward, moving toward Christ. Just listen to the verse again. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So this series really is a refocused and a a deeper vision and understanding of what it means to present others complete in Christ. Presenting everyone mature at every level, even in ministries, whether it's children, youth, or adults. This is going to be about spiritual depth and the maturity within us, even as individuals. It's about the multiplication of maturity in other aspects of the church as well. But here's the conviction. Presenting others mature in Christ isn't just about Sunday morning or what we do at church. Now now catch this. If Paul walked in those two back doors there and he looked around and he said this, I want to invite a couple people out to lunch today. And he invites us out to lunch and you sit down there at some restaurant And you go, what would be going on in his mind? What would be the purpose of that? 
Would it be to have a discussion about the eight and eight Vikings who didn't make the playoffs? I don't think so. Now, he might use it as a tool, but he would have a goal in the back of his mind. He would be knocking on the hearts of our lives, and he'd be listening, and he'd be looking, and looking, and go, he'd be going, Ken, if he was, I was eating with him, he'd be looking at me and going, I wonder how I can present Ken complete in Christ, mature in Christ, move him a little bit more toward Jesus today. See, that's what his motive would be. His motive would be living out what he wrote in Colossians 1, 28 and 29. How can the people in front of me move and be more effective in the kingdom of heaven? Now this verse, I'll admit, has been very important in, in my life. And Deanna and I have used this verse over and over again for our children and, and a number of mentors that have been in our lives. We look back into the early 80s when we lived in Vancouver and there was adult, other older couples in our lives. They were pushing, they were doing this toward us. And they tried to challenge us to even incorporate it into our parenting. See, presenting people and our children mature in Christ, you have to figure out, though, is not rocket science. But it has to be intentional. So other couples in this youth pastor helped us understand some things. And actually, one of the things was throwing away the phrase, I want nice Christian kids. And as a father, they were pushing me, some of the men there were pushing me and saying, Ken, you have to take responsibility and you need to be communicating some of the things to the kids that shouldn't come from mom. They need to come from dad. So as a father, one of the things that they challenged me on in working in that youth ministry was learn the art of what it means to talk with kids versus at kids. And they were pushing me on that. Learning the difference between those two. But let me give you maybe a more pointed illustration here of what it can practically look like of presenting even our kids complete in Christ. And this applies again beyond parenting. But Deanna and I, we started working in that youth ministry back in the early 19, I think it was 1980. And I remember the first fall coming into that Wednesday night classes, he, start, he had started a unit on dating and relationships and, and, and talking about that with the senior high students. And Deanna and I would sit there and we would hear this stuff being taught to the kids. And we were looking and going, did you ever hear this stuff? No. Did you ever hear it? No. Did you hear it at church? No. Now, you understand... Do you know what the sum of my dating advice was from my mom and dad? I, I grew up in a free church, half free church, half covenant. Just be careful. That was it. That was the sum of my dating advice from my mom and dad, and actually it was from my mom. And we were hearing this stuff of what it meant for a young man to look at a, a, a young girl that might move toward dating at some point. What does it mean to present her mature in Christ as you relate to her? What does it mean for a young gal to look at a man in a relationship and present him mature in Christ, help him move toward Christ? We were hearing this stuff and going, boy, this is really different. 
And you fast forward about nine years later, and we're living, we had just moved back into the St. Cloud area. We're living in Sauk Rapids for a year there. My dad had gotten Alzheimer's when we had moved back. And, and my son, he, I think he was in the spring, and he was going to his first dance. It was a school-sponsored dance across town. And, and I was, as I was driving him, you understand, one of the things that happened, things were flooding back in my mind. I'm going, okay, I'm supposed to present my son complete, mature in Christ. What kind of conversations do I, is there anything that I need to tell my son before he gets to the dance? Now, I'm scrambling here. I probably should have done this a long time ago. But as those things were flooding into my mind, all of a sudden, you know, you know I, I go, I got to talk to him about a couple things. Because you understand this, and I hope we're not naive enough to realize that a dance is a great source of temptation. Do we know that? See, the fact, an eighth grader, boy, hormones raging, okay, girls dancing close. Do we understand the potential of what can go on here? And as I had to tell him directly that you might, Andy, you might be touching against her and you might have a sexual reaction. So I'm telling this to him as, as a, but here, then I kept going. And I said, do you realize, okay, then what does it mean to present this girl complete in Christ? That you're dancing. What are you going to do with your mind to take every thought captive? What's the thinking going to be, Andy, at that point? There's going to be a temptation as to what you do with that. Where are you going to go? Are you going to go to Jesus? As I was, it's interesting because about two weeks ago, I went back to my son. I said, um, do you remember this conversation? He goes, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but do you understand how practical? What was my goal as a father? It was to present him mature in Christ as he entered into that event. But again, I didn't want him to stop there. I didn't want him. I wanted him to turn around and look at these other kids that he's with and this student and, and this other girls and go, how does he present them mature in Christ and it make a difference in their life, the way he's treating them? Do you see where we have to go? See, as parents, again, what is our aim? Are we looking to present our sons and our daughters mature in Christ? And we got to be going down to places that we haven't gone before. We have to help them move closer to Christ. But understand this, we think it's, we want to go deep theology all the times. I think what has to happen within the church more and more, we got to get deeper application-wise. Now, I'll confess, this was we, we drilled this verse into our children. We brainwashed them with it, but that was okay. They actually began to adopt it and figure that out in their own lives. And fast forward many years later, it's, it's interesting as how God worked when they began to connect directly with Christ that they were this was a part of their framework of going how do I present each other complete in Christ as they were dating you understand my daughter Bethany she didn't kiss Josh her husband until the night that she was engaged there's a commitment on her part of going I'm going to step back and I want to present Josh complete in Christ Mature in Christ, so therefore I'm not going to do these things to offer any kind of temptation. 
My son Andy, and again, I didn't, we didn't tell them that they had to do this. This wasn't even a conversation. We had no conversations about this. Him and Jen agreed that they wouldn't kiss until the wedding day. But what, what was the goal for their lives? It was to present them mature in Christ, each other, as they were in a relationship. Do you, do you understand how the application of this, these things has to go deeper in the life of the church? Again, we want to go theologically deep, and we didn't need to go there at times. But we need to be much wiser in the applications of this, of this passage. So let me give you the goal for your notes to fill in that blank. The journey of a lifetime is about God changing each of us so that we might be used by God, used by God to help present others mature in Christ. And this is more than just parents and kids. If you're teenagers, this is about your friendships with people. This is about co-workers at work. This is about family members and relatives. Of coming to a place where our mindset is that God wants us to change from the inside out and he wants to use that in other people's lives. It was interesting, that word maturity. Uh, for this series, I've started a group of men meeting together a couple times a month and we have three or four guys meeting with me just to chew on some of this stuff. I'm throwing it out and just go, what's your reaction and what are you hearing me say and just kind of to help me articulate some of the things. And I threw out the question to them in that first night, what is spiritual maturity? And you know the interesting piece there? Three of the guys there, that had three other men besides myself, all three had different answers to what it is, to what spiritual maturity is. So we're going to have to answer that question. What is spiritual maturity? So when we're pushing somebody, helping somebody, proclaiming Christ, what does it actually look like? But I need to end with this way. Really, it's a plea. Don't think that you can't do this. So no matter where you're at, some of you are going, oh, where I'm at spiritually, I, I can't start this. Or I'm too old to start this. Or too many things have gone over the dam here and I can't get it back. And, and I go, no, don't go there. God wants us to be used he wants to change us from the inside out so that we might be used in somebody else's life to the very day that we die. And, and see, believe that God isn't done with you yet. I'm so grateful he's not done with me yet. It's never too late. God wants to make a difference. And if we say that he is, he's done, I can't, I should stay away from this, I'm not going to come, not going to hear this, I understand what you're saying is God's grace comes to an end. And folks, that's a lie. God's grace and his power and his, the spirit just continues. He wants to work. He just he wants to do it. So trust that, that God's grace needs to get poured into our lives as we walk through this journey and figure out some of this together. He wants to use us. He wants to change us. 
So maybe this week, maybe you, you get out of bed every morning and say, God, change me. Help me today to know what to do and how to live to please you and change me. But here's what I want to do in closing. I want to take that prayer in a little more detail of what that Colossians 1 as he prayed, and I want to pray that over us this morning. And I think it will make sense from what we read earlier from Colossians 9 through verse 13. But I want to just ask you to stand, and I'm going to pray this for our ending prayer. And I think as you hear this, I would hope that your spirit connects with this. Our Heavenly Father, would you fill us with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding? And would you help us as a church family to walk in a manner worthy of your Son, fully pleasing him? Help us in bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all of your power according to your glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. We give thanks to you, Father, the one who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Father, you have delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of your beloved Son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. These things we pray in your name. Amen.